Hello, it's Shahid and welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. Just to let you know that our award show is still open and the next deadline is this Friday, the 24th of March. Full rundown of dates are on our website. If you want a shout out on any podcast episodes for any job roles that you might have or any production services, email us at awardsofthecreativefloor.com. Many of you know by now that this year we launched 42 brand new equity, diversity and inclusion categories. And as a little way to celebrate uh, that, we're bringing you something slightly different today. Um, I think this really helps just showcase a really small example of what our Talent Diversity Fund is doing uh, to help change people's lives. So today we talk to Vanel Delore, and Vanel grew up as a gangster stroke drug dealer in the East End of London, and this is his story. How do you end up selling drugs? How do you end up being in a gang? How do you end up being in a shootout and bouncing in and out of prison? And most importantly, how do you rebuild your life into something more positive? Today, Vernell is an ambassador, he's a mentor, he's a coach, he's a speaker, he's an all-round role model for for young people, as well as slightly older people, I would argue. This podcast contains stories of drugs, guns, and violence. So turn off now if any of these topics are likely to offend you. Details on Vernell are in the show notes. So if this conversation inspires you as much as I believe it will, and you want to find out more for Vernell on an individual basis, or if you want him to come into your organization and share his story and help you understand a little bit more about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Full details are all on his website and in the show notes. Please share this far and wide with your networks. Prepare to be blown away. Enjoy. Well, hello, and welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. It's Shahid here, and today we are absolutely delighted to welcome Mr. Vanel Delore. Hello. Um, hey, Shahid. How you doing? I'm really good, thank you. I'm Cool. Where, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Hackney, East London. Ah, nice one. I'm sort of like the complete other side of London for you. So that's cool. It's more west. West, yeah, near here. Yeah, 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 yeah. My geography's not great, but yeah. <laughs> I was in Hackney yesterday, actually. Oh, was, was you? Yeah, yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, um, Hackney's been so gentrified, hasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. It's really up and coming. Dawson, I live like just off Dawson High Road, and um, it's a far cry from um, it's far cry from what it used to be. Like it literally used to be. We used to call it the trenches. You know what I mean? And now you got all the um, it's buzzing with bars and um, clubs and you know um, and restaurants. It's a really vibrant area now. Yeah, it's a different sort of trench now, I guess. Yeah, it's a different sort of trench. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks, Vernell, for joining us today. This is um this is a slightly different episode for us. You know, our normal listeners, you know, will know that we normally talk about all things advertising and healthcare. You know, we talk about work. Uh, themes trends life stories and every now and again we always try and shed a spotlight on the importance of diversity I remember meeting you last year I think it I met you a few times I think the first time was at Schroeder's I think I think Schroeder's is a bank or an insurance company but anyway it's very posh it was very very fancy office in the city and uh, you were helping out a charity at the time 
that helped young offenders find work. So basically young people who were in prison. Mm-hmm. And you were one of those, um, as you sort of just said earlier, when I asked like how, how should I introduce you? And you said, well, I was involved in gang culture and I've moved to being a catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. So you were one of those um, young people and you still are very young, but you went through that program um, and you became a volunteer for them. And I remember you just sort of sat on stage and you shared your life story for about five or 10 minutes or so. And I've got to say, it was one of the most moving, most inspirational stories I'd ever heard. And I just thought, look, seeing as I've got a platform that reaches the ears of what I believe are the smartest advertising people around the world, they really need need to hear this. I think the more people that really understand the importance of equity, diversity and inclusion, the better. And I couldn't have I couldn't have thought of a better person to to come on here and, and just educate all of us around your story, your journey. So I just want to, before we get into what I, I know is going to be the most phenomenal, phenomenal story, I just want to say massively thank you for taking the time out to speak to me today. I hope, what I'm hoping to do is really get behind your life, you know, your childhood to prison. Um and even to where you are now and in the end of like how anyone listening to this, what they can do to help more people like yourself and how they can get you involved into their organizations. Does that all sound okay? That sounds brilliant. Um, Shahid, I want to say thank you so much um, for those kind words, first and foremost. Um, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And this is very different from your everyday, um, your everyday podcast and what your your listeners are used to listening to for sure. Um, this is very different than advertising and marketing, as you said. Um, yeah, this is a story is a bit harrowing, but at the same time, it is a story of empowerment and change, and it has a, a beautiful ending. You know, um, and the story is not over. Um, but to this point, it's um, it's really nice. Awesome. So let's let's start from the very, very beginning right now. Where were you born? I was born in Castries, St. Lucia, and down in the Caribbean. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then how, well, how old were you when you came over here? I was seven years old. Um, I was brought over by my mum's mum. Um, she because because my mom was ill at the time. She was suffering with um, heart failure, type one and type two diabetes, um, pneumonia, and she two years after we arrived, um, she passed away sadly, and um, yeah, she passed away of heart failure, and um, yeah, that was I was nine years old. That was really difficult, a really difficult time for me, you know, um, because that's. That's the person. That's the only person I really knew, and my my dad was nowhere to be found. Um, and yeah, so to, she was my rock, she was my my safe place, you know. Mm. So what 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 made you move over to the UK? Well, she my mom was ill, and um, like I just said, and um, her mom felt like treatment in the UK okay. would be a lot more adequate, a lot right. better, um, adequate than um, yeah. Saint Lucia. Okay, so you come over here. Sadly, your your mum passes away. You're nine years old. There's no there's no father. Well, where, where where do you end up then? What happens? So I'm with my um, grandmother. Well, my great grandmother. Um, 
um this is my yeah this is my nan's mum so i'm around nine ten years old and i'm in I'm living in hackney with my great-grandmother um in year three going to school down in bethnal green out of interest just um have you got any memory of saint lucia very very vaguely very vaguely i remember my road i remember we used to go to something we called grace which is like um my nan land and she like plants um she plants like vet fruit and veg on the land um i remember going there like every weekend and whatnot um my mum used to have a market stall as well that i used to go with her um i remember i vaguely remember that vaguely remember we used to Obviously, we didn't have money to buy cricket bats or um, tennis balls, so we used to burn nylon bags um, together and to make a, to make it into a ball. And we used to use like the branches of a palm tree um, to create a cricket bat. Um, so I remember that um, I'm a avid um, cricket player. <laughs> and and do you, do you remember? So when you're when you're in Bethnal Green now, and you're in the east end of London like did you sort of miss anything that you missed was did you miss the sun did you miss the foods I mean was yeah, there no 100% because going to school every day was very different than going to school in the in, in St Lucia um we used to go to school in three-quarter trousers and um just our shirts but <laughs> over here I'm having to button up um a cardigan a jumper and a um a, a jacket you know so yeah. that, that was very different and we used to just walk to school or just bike to school it was very like it was very free but over here obviously on a bus and never really used public transport before i came over here you know solution very small island so there's not there's probably a bus to take you down to a town and whatnot but there's no like trains or underground like we have in the uk yeah okay cool so you're living with your grandma you're going to school it's cold Mm -hmm. East London. What 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 year are we in? Are we in the nineties, eighties? No, we're in two. We're in um two thousand and three. Two thousand three. Wow, I'm showing my age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're in two thousand three. Two thousand three. Okay, so what's the place where you're living like? Um, I couldn't. Re we didn't really get to see London because Nanny was Nanny is stuck in her ways and she doesn't really like to venture out and do much. Nanny goes to the market on a weekend. She goes to church on a Sunday. She takes us to school during the week. Um, and that's really about it. And we have a few family members, so uncles and aunties. So on around Easter, Christmas, birthdays, we may go around and spend some time. Um, but to say, like, central, central London was a complete and utter foreign land to me. Um, I only was, I only knew that I was only confined to Hackney, Hoxton, um and from other family members houses so i couldn't really tell you much about yeah about earlier life in london to be honest me and my little brother the furthest we got to was maybe the the park to go play some football um and the, the takeaway shop to be fair um that was early life with, with with nanny until um until yeah situation happened at nanny's house and then had to had to move out Okay, so what? How old are you when you had to move out? So I was around twelve years old, and um, you might know Shahid. Um, the older generation have a very different way of discipline, disciplining children, especially in the black community. And she, my nan, um, I must have misbehaved, and she felt like I was misbehaving too much. So um, yeah, she 
beat me and she beat me really badly. She not she took she didn't even take the belt out. She used a like a like a yeah, like a wire sort of a thing. And she beat me for a while, you know. My God. Yeah. And, and 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 then she what? She just literally told you to pack your bags and get no, out. She, no, she didn't. Um, um, a family member came round and saw bruises on me and uh, ended up calling the police. Um, she ended up getting a, she ended up getting arrested, and um, yeah. So then I got moved from then from then I got moved from pillar to post. To be honest, um, this family member's house, this stranger, um, social services was involved. Um, yeah, from a very young age, like I was. Um, I wasn't settled. I was, yeah, like I said, pushed from pillar to post. Oh my God. And can you remember what was going through your mind at this time? Um, at that time I felt, I'm not, I felt pretty unwanted and, um, getting older and doing neurolinguistics practitioning, I realized that I have a people pleasing complex. So, um, as a child living in the house with mum and dad, like you misbehave and whatnot, but you're, you're, you can slam a door, you, you can raise your voice a little bit, but because I was being moved from this person's house to that person's house, I, I always needed to behave. So I always needed to be on my best behavior. And that gave me a really strong people pleasing complex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And were you moving around still in the east end of London or were you just... Um, Essex, Dagenham, um, Channel Heath, Forest Gate, Colchester, um, Boreham Wood, Watford. This is all bit, This is all within the space of two years. Oh my God. So you were just jumping from school to school, basically. Exactly. Do you know? Um, I'm spending two months in a school, do you know? Like, yeah, it's crazy. I honestly couldn't tell you what was actually going on at that time because it was like, why wasn't I just settled in one place? And, um, so I couldn't tell you what the adults were doing, honestly. Um, From what you, I've heard so far, you know, you had a lot of routine when you were living with Nanny, right? You kind of yeah. went to church, school, home, you know, it felt like a very structured, clearly very strict and um, over-abusive home. But then, but then now you've got the opposite effect now, right? Now you've got absolutely no routine. You've got no stability. You've got no security in terms of like where you call home. Yeah. How are you feeling at this point? And now you're sort of 13, 14 years old. Is this your normal? Are you are you expecting this to always be this way? Or are you, are, are you living in a hope where, well, actually maybe the next place is where, you know, that will be my permanent place of home. Well, that was the hope. Um, because I got to the point where at first I kind of liked moving, yeah, but then I, I hated it because I would make friends and then I would have to move, not see them again. Um, I just felt, I felt kind of hopeless and I felt kind of like nobody wanted me in a way because it's like I was living with these people next minute and then I'll, I'll come home and then I'll get told that I'm moving, right? Um, or i got to go somewhere else. And I felt like I wasn't really wanted and the people that I was moving to, like, I didn't actually, I didn't know them. Um, I might have heard the family member talking about them or what, whatnot, but I didn't know them exactly, you know? So it was confusing, to say the least. What's your circles of friends like? Are you staying in touch with people or are you just, you um, know? No, because there's not modern forms of communication as there is today. Um, they, we don't have the so social media, 
my nan had a my nan had a 33 a 33 10. i didn't have a phone do you know this is very early years um so there was no i wasn't able to keep in contact with anyone and um yeah there was house phones you know so so you're 14 years old um yeah. you're, you're moving all over all over london really yeah. i would say i would say i'm about 13 um because then i moved into I moved into I moved back into Hackney um, with an aunt, uh, my dad's my dad's sister, um, in Clarence Road, Pembury Estate. And at the time, I didn't know that it was I'm moving into a very a high gang populated area um, and a very violent area at that. Um, very new to the very new to things, very new to England life, you know. Um, let alone gang life. I have no idea about gang life, you know. So. Um, so I moved on to the to the to their stay, and the fir first four days of living there is the first time I heard gunshots. Um, I'm playing a I'm playing a game, and I'm not sure if you remember the game Getaway. So we're in the I'm in the the bank, and I've just looted the money, and I need to get out of the bank. I need to get away, and I, so I need to shoot the security guard to get out of the game. So bam, bam, shoot the security guard, and I walk out, and um, so obviously I get away. About a minute later, I hear bop, bop outside. And I go to the window and I see a man brandishing a firearm. And then I look down the road and I see another man brandishing a firearm. And they're shooting at each other. This is the first time I've ever seen a shootout in real life. It's the first time I've ever heard gunshots. So um, this is very neat. So my nan comes, my aunt, my aunt comes downstairs and she, she shouts and she's like, move from the window. And I fall on the floor like, I'm the one getting shot at. And um, about five, five, ten minutes later, I look back at the window and I see a man laying on the floor. Obviously, you've got blue lights and the tape. And um, I see the blood going into the nearby drain. The first time I'm see I'm witnessing a dead body, you know. Um, and rah, this is realizing this is the area that I live in, you know. Um the boys in the area, they wasn't welcoming to new people in the area. Um, I remember something that happened to me, um, 13, about a couple of weeks after that. I was walking up the street and some boys came and they asked me, like, they're like, where, where are you from? And thinking, at the time I was thinking, I don't know you. Like, why you ask, why are you even talking to me, you know? And they said, where are you from? And um, I said, uh, I was just kind of confused. I didn't really respond. They asked again and they asked again. And I said, oh, I live I live down there and they're like oh we you're lying you're lying you don't we don't we've never seen you before xyz and said no i live down there and um so they began to pat me down they began to pat me down and um feel feel my pockets and to see what i had uh and i didn't have nothing on me um i didn't have i didn't own a phone um i never really had i never really had any money on me so they big they, they punched me in my chest a few times and they told me to to do star jumps these men were probably about i was 13 they were probably about 19 20 at the time and um, yeah so they've given me a few punches in my chest um and on my arm and they told me to do star jumps and at the time i'm thinking i can't even fight these guys you know what i'm saying i'm gonna get myself beat up i'm i'm kind of scared um so they've got me to uh, so I've done about five or six star jumps or whatever. No, I laugh. I, I laugh about it now, but at the time, I remember being a bit um, thinking, "What, what are these guys gonna do to me?" Do you know what I'm saying? Um, 
so yeah, done the star jumps and then they went on their way. I went on my way, and yeah, I quickly learned that what area it is that I lived in. Do you know what I mean? That was um, slightly mind blowing to say the least. That you know you're 13 years old, you know four days into this new home with your aunt, you've just seen pretty much somebody die. How old was that person who who, who died? Uh, I would say he was in his early 20s, maybe about yeah, very early 20s, probably about 20, 21. Okay, yeah, and then now you've kind of you know you've sort of encountered a little bit of intimidation, I guess, around. Yeah, yeah. I'd see in the news. Um, we watch the news every day. And we acts of violence happen on the news all the time, and to see my road on the news, it was, it was, you know. Yeah, 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 totally. And to hear the media speak about my area, and they spoke about it in a very negative light. Yeah, what's home life like? So you're with your with your auntie. I mean, are you the only kid in the house, or how, how's how's home life? Home life. My aunt's got two jobs. And she's got three children. So she's working, she's at work all day. And then she comes home for about two, three hours. And then she's back doing a night job. She comes in early hours of the morning, probably about three in the morning. Um, she goes straight to sleep and then back to it, back to it again. Her kids go to her kids get taken to school by a friend of hers. And um I take I'm taking myself to school. So my aunt's really, my aunt's kind of non-existent and her parent, parenting is hers non-existent really. And her actually being a, an authority and actually disciplining me and being there and supporting me with what I need as a young man growing up and the changes that I'm going through. Um, she's not even there, let alone having the conversation with me, do you know? Um, her, her eldest is, I'm 13, her eldest is five or six, do you know? So um, she's very new to motherhood herself. So, um, yeah, so she never had no time for me, whatever. I was a, I was left to my own devices. I was left held, um, I was left to understanding these feelings and these changes as a young boy, as a young adolescent by myself, you know? Um, there was nobody to run to or there was nobody to, that's the thing about me growing up. Like people say, oh, why didn't you just run from that situation? Or why didn't you just do this? Like it was, who was I running to, you know? There was no one to run to. There was no one, nowhere to hide like that, you know? Um, so I quickly learned to become a boy, um, to become a man. God, you know, when I was 13 or 14, you, obviously it's a very difficult time because you've got loads of hormones flying around. But there's also something around, you know, you're kind of thinking about some of the things that you might be considering as you grow up. Like, you know, yeah. I want to be an electrician or I want yeah. to be a doctor or whatever it happens to be. What's going on in your mind at that point? Are you having any aspirations or any dreams or? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, two of my biggest dreams, I'm a, I'm a massive sportsman, right? Um, cricket, like I said, um, back in the islands um, from five, six, seven, we was playing, we was playing cricket, you know, from morning to late evening. Um, we used to be up playing football and we used to manufacture the materials to play it from anything, right? Um, just as long as we was playing. Um, so we come out to, I wanted, my idol was Brian Lara, um, Shanda Paul. Those were um, members of the West Indies cricket team. Um, also was a massive football fan as well. Um, Thierry Henry, Will Todd, um, Burkamp, Ian Wright. Yeah, those were my idols, you know, and um, had crazy aspirations to 
being a sportsman, whether that be cricket. I really had the dreams of me holding up the ICC um, 2020 um, World Cup one day. I literally, I felt like that was what I was destined to do. I was so passionate about sport and about cricket um, that I really felt that that's, what I, um, that's where my life would go. But then I also, I have a passion for cars. Um, I grew up in a, like, my uncle back in St. Lucia had a garage, so we was always around the garage, always around cars. Um, he would sit me on his lap, and I would um, I would hold the steering wheel while he would be driving. Um, and, yeah, so I always had a really lo a love for cars. Then I fell into Formula One, and um, I really, one of my dreams was to be part of the pit crew, right, the Formula One pit crew. Um, so it was either cricket, football, or mechanics. What was school like then? Was was, was school positive, or how was that? Let me put it like this: um, in the areas that I grew up in, um, when I moved on to the Pembury Estate, um, let's say fifty percent of my fifty percent of the my friends were, uh, let's say, motherless. For, no, fatherless. 30% of them was motherless, and I was part of the 20% that was parentless, right? And what I understand now is that that breeded traumas, that uh, traumas of uh, um, abandonment, hurt, loss, that we didn't know that we were suffering from, do you know? So when we're in school and we're having these... Um, these internal resp responses... Yeah, like, where, how do I put it? Like, we don't know, we're, oper we're operating from these areas, you know? So when a teacher's speaking to us or we get in trouble or we misbehave or whatever, we're operating from these these areas of hurt, you know? Um, this is what we're actually going through, like, so we're having these intense emotional responses and it's like, oh, you're, you're just going to be like those boys on the streets and you're not going to amount to nothing. And, you know, um, black teachers already had a tolerance to, to us, you know, um, and it's that they didn't care either, you know. Um, it was like, okay, cool, you're here. You made the register. And it was just like, okay, cool. Like, you didn't really feel like you was getting taught, you know. That's how I felt from right from year seven to year eight. I felt like that. And then, but I always loved to learn. That's the thing about me. I always loved to, to gain information, to for somebody to tell me something that I didn't know. Love that. Yeah. Now I understand that I'm something called a sapiosexual. Um, um, I read it once and it said, I said, what, what is that? And they said, somebody that loves to learn and loves to gain new information. I was like, well, um, that's me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I always loved to learn. So I always kind of liked to be in my box, even though I felt like the teachers didn't really care. I was always in my box, always had my homework done on time, always um, teacher never had to um, chase me up for no coursework for nothing, you know, when it comes to my schoolwork. And that's the one thing my aunt used to always praise about me was that she, um, parents' evening and whatnot, they, she never really had a problem with my academic work, but it was, I can be the class clown. I can misbehave. I would have... The teachers would be a bit, teachers would be a bit confused to how my grades were so good, but then I'm always in detention. Um, but they did have sympathy on, on me also because mum died. So they felt like maybe that's where, that's why I might be acting out the way I'm acting out. 
So you're going to school, but you've kind of got no one really looking out for you. You've got no one really to encourage you. Mm-hmm. Nothing really at home. So I guess your life is your life feeling quite lonely. I mean, are you? It, it, it is. And I remember I was moving my PlayStation from my aunt's house, from my aunt's room down to my room, and um, I've dropped it down the stairs and it's broke. So now there's nothing at home. <laughs> there's nothing at home to entertain me. So now I hit the road. So I'm on the I'm on the I'm outside I'm in the cages and I'm playing football and you've got the you can see the older gang members and you can see what's going on around you can see what's going on around right and um, no we're not taking part of it no parts in it they would call us and they would say go to the shop and they might give us like we might be able to keep the change whatnot but we wasn't involved in nothing at the beginning now other gang other rival gang members would come round and then they would um, search us. Um, they would threaten us with knives because they're looking for the other gang members, the ones that like operate on this estate. Um, and they'll ask us where they are, and because we're not saying like where they hang out or whatever, they'll either punch us, not like beat us up, because we was really young and they were probably like they were good, maybe ten years older than us or also. So um, they'll just give us a little punch up or whatever, and then just show us their blades or sometimes um, show us their gun. You know, um, because they was really looking up, looking for these guys. I'm sorry to ask this. Fortunately, you never know, been in a situation where somebody's holding a gun to me. What does it feel like the first time somebody does that to you? Um, the feel, the feeling is, it's an overwhelming feeling. I'll be honest, um, because it's like we, because we, we know what a gun is, and we know that a gun can take a take somebody's life in an instant. So at first, it's at the very first time, it's, it's, it's kind of scary, but then it happens so much that you get used to it. So I get so no, it gets so normalized. And then we're talking about it from very young ages because we're around this, you know, like gunshots are going off, if not every weekend and every other weekend, or at, and at least twice during the week. Do you know what I'm saying? And at this point, because you now, you're, you know, this Pembury estate is yeah. kind of like home. Mm-hmm. kind of settled in a kind of way are you are you now completely aware of like who the who the gang leaders are you know if you want to get weapons if you want to get drugs you know exactly who to go to where to go in a, in a in a roundabout way but in a way we're still young and i'm still trying to focus on my schooling because i actually really do want to become a footballer i really do want to become a cricketer or a mechanic you know um i uh, I'm not watching that lifestyle too much, um, but yes, in schools we speak about it, and you know that there's this gang, that gang, that gang. This is the areas that they operate in. You know that this one, they these lot have the cars, these lot have the girls, these lot have the jewelry. This, um, some of this section they rob, some of this section they sell drugs. Um, yeah, and this is because things are happening daily, right? Um, while you're in school, things are happening. So when you leave school, there's so much to get you get told about. Um, when you come to school the next day, so much happened from school finishing um, to going to bed that you've got a whole catalog of things to talk about while you're in while you're in school that day. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, so the information is the information is out there. Wow. Okay. Cool. All right. So what, what, where are we now? We're about fourteen. Uh, let's go up to where about fifteen, sixteen. So we're leaving. We're leaving school and. The, the Premier Boys, they're trying to recruit me. They're trying to recruit me to do very low-level stuff, um, hand-to-hand deals and whatnot. Um, and sometimes I re- sometimes 
refuse and give the excuse that I need to go home, auntie wants me home and X, Y, Z. And for the most part, they would listen because we was we was very young. Um, gang members are coming round usually and then they're shooting and there was a time we was literally in the park and they, they were shooting into the park. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, obviously you can't see bullets. So I'm, I'm scared to death that a bullet could hit me at any time, at any minute. Um, but I don't want nothing to do with this lifestyle. So one thing I do remember was seeing the older lot on the estate with the Ro with the Rolexes, with the with the cars, the girls, the jewelry, and the respect. I'm thinking, wow, like I want to have that level of respect one day. And how did they get it? They got it by doing gang behavior, you know. Um, and it's not something that I really wanted to get into, and I didn't have no aspirations. I didn't like that lifestyle whatsoever, even though we was we was privy to information that we shouldn't have been. Um, it wasn't. It didn't appeal to me. It seemed very dangerous. You know what I'm saying? And so let's fast forward up to 16, 17. I'm um, just completed my my level one IMEI in yeah my level one IMEI um, certificate for motor mechanics, right? And literally just received my certificate. I've taken the certificate envelope, reading it. My phone rings. Yo V. What's going on? I'm saying, yo, what's going on? He's like, but I could tell the way he said what's going on. Like, his voice is very, it's not, there's no enthusiasm in his voice. Like, it's, it sounds really bad. And he's like, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, um, they shot Shaq. And I'm like, shot Shaq? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, Shaq's dead. And Shaq is two years younger than me. I'm 17, he's 15. So, and Shaq's nothing to do with no gang behavior, no gang rivalry, no gang behavior at all. So what do you mean they shot Shaq and Shaq's dead? So basically, these rival gang members now are not only shooting um, gang members, they're shooting any black, any boys in the area. Um, they're shooting any boys in the area. Everybody gets it. That's, that's what they're saying. My God. So now it's okay. Now I don't want to be a part of this, but it's in a way I'm forced into it because if these guys come to the area again and they see me, even though I'm nothing to do with it, they're going to try and shoot me, you know? Um, and I'm older than you. We thought that we would we would get by bec um, because we was young, but Shaq was 15, um, was 15. He's two years younger than me and they, they showed no remorse. He was shot four times, you know? So, um, yeah, like I remember going home and crying, like the tears being in my eyes and be like, because this is my friend I was playing FIFA with just a few days ago. Like, you know, he was sitting right next to me on my bed, in my bedroom, like he was playing FIFA and now he's completely gone. And it's like, wow, okay. So um, the older lot on the estate, they have a word with us and they're like, Shh, you're going to have to have a weapon on you or something because that's that's what, that could save your life, you know? Um, if you have a knife on you and someone's trying to attack you and you pull it out, it's going to make them hesitate. That hesitation might be the window that you need to get away, you know? So, um, yeah. So I become a product of my environment. Um, at the time, I'm, I was going to football trials, um, cricket trials in Essex. I went down from 309 men 309 applicants to two teams, A team and B team. 
and I was the when they called out, they said in no particular order, they called out my name first. Right? And um that made me super happy, phone with the family. Um I was gonna get an amateur contract um with Middlesex Cricket um club, the A team were anyway, everyone on the A team was gonna get that. My aunt had the, the initial conversation over the phone. We were supposed to go down. And um the day before we went down, um down there to sort the contract and whatever. Um so we're on the estate, we're chilling, rival gangs come over and they've ended up where we're running away from them, they've ended up catching my friend and they've stabbed him twelve times. So this is another this is the same rival gang? This is um well the estate that I live on, they've got there's thirty two gangs in Hackney. So they've got they've got um problems with about half of that, right? So I couldn't I couldn't remember I couldn't remember if it was the same rival gang that shot Shaq. Um so anyway, they've ended up stabbing twelve times. So now I'm no longer thinking about going to trials tomorrow. My friend is in hospital fighting for his life, you know. We spent that whole day outside the hospital. And um yeah. Um what happened after that? Like So it's so, like you're in a war, really. Exactly. This is what um I say I say all the time. Um we used to call it we used to it wasn't quite Baghdad, but it was a war zone. Do you know? Um people getting shot stabbed on a weekly basis so it's like yo this is this is a war zone it was survival um shaheed do you know yeah, yeah. What, what, what did you what weapon did you were you carrying around then to so um at first at first it was we had a like a baton like a um you know kind of like what the, the police have like a like a kosh like um you had it and then you flick it out there was the the older lot on the estate always used to bring different weapons. Yeah, they would always have different weapons. Um, and then there was an area where you could go locate a weapon. That's why is it right? And um, but then it then it went to. I remember I lost the I, I lost the kosh one day running running from. I think it might have been the police, and so then now it's a flick out knife. Now I've got it's nothing like the knives that the young these the kids got to this, um to this day. Um, they've got something what you call ZKs, which are zombie zombie killers, right? And they are samurai swords, machetes, right? Um, in my day, we had what we call flick out knives, and the and the knife itself, the blade itself, was no longer than your palm, right? And um, yeah, um, that's what started to carry around me. And Shahid, it got to the stage where I wouldn't leave my house. It was like leaving, not leaving my house without my shoes. You know, would make sure that I would have something. Um, you feel the still, the 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 stainless steel on your side, touch your skin, and it's cold at the beginning. And then, uh, give it ten minutes, it will warm up, and then you forget that it's even there. You know, um, that's how used to that's how used to having it there. I got, you know what I mean. Um, and that's no way to live. But that was survival. That was the survival starter kit. You know, um. And, and I lived in these areas and I asked my aunt, can we not move out of this area? And she's, she put in applications and she asked the council and whatnot, but to no avail, you know? Wow. So this is, um, this is getting a little bit insane now, isn't it, right? You're kind of part of the gang. You're going around with weapons to protect yourself. Are you, are you kind of slightly more involved in, in the drug dealing side of things now as well? Um, yeah, so it started. It started very low level. So um, a gang, mem um, one of the members would give um, 
give me a small package and say, okay, about two rows away, someone's going to be in this car. This is the license plate. I'll go drop it to the car. They'll give me money. I'll return it to to, um, to the person. Um, and I'll, I might get a, a five pound or a 10 pound for doing so. Yeah. So it started very low level and then it moved into um, um, high level of organized crime. But that was only after I came out of jail the first time. So fast forward 2011, May, my daughter's just born. And for the first time, I'm about to become a father. And um, I'm excited. I'm scared, but I'm excited at the same time because I never, I never had a father figure in my life. Um, and I really want to be there for this little, for this child that's coming along. And yeah, so my daughter's born. That's great. I've created such a bond with her. She sleeps on my chest every night. Um, I'm, I'm not happy about the waking up every three hours because um, I'm a person I love my sleep also. Um, but yeah, I did it anyway. Um, so are you still on the estate at this time as well? I'm still living, still, still living with my, still living with my aunt. Um, my do my daughter's mom. Yeah, we've been going out now. We've been going out since we was probably about she was fifteen. I was sixteen. So yeah, and now I'm eighteen. She's seventeen. So it was going out for about two years or so, two two and a half years. And yeah, my so my daughter's come along. Um, my daughter's come along the twenty first of May two thousand and eleven, and three months later, August, reports have come in. The police have just killed an unarmed black man. Now, and wait, where where did this happen? In America? Oh no, in Tottenham. Who did they kill? Mark Duggan. What? We are we are very used to hearing this um, over the over the water, over the Atlantic, and there's nothing we can do about it. Where um, all we can do is share our outrage online, yeah, via social media or whatever, right? But this is not just happening on our doorstep. This is not happening at home. Some of us knew Mark. Mark was probably on this estate maybe a few weeks ago, you know? So he's friends with um, a few of the guys on the estate. So, and I've seen Mark a few times, me and him have spoken. So I said, so now there was already so much frustration on the estates. There's so much tension with the police on the estates. The police are not policing us correctly, um, Shahid. Um, I am, I'm on the estate and the police is, um, they'll, let me put it to you like this. I'm walking past a police officer, I could walk past him five times a day. The police officer that is tasked to police this area for for today, right? I could pass, I could walk past him five times um, today. He won't say a word to me. As soon as reports come in and um, and um, a robbery or something's taking place in the area, I now fit the description. So now you're putting your hands all over me. You're cornering me into a corner, and you're putting your hands all over me, and you're not able to find a weapon, then you call the um, TSG van, which then goes to, around the back of the, around the back of the houses. Um, we get put in there. There's about four or five men in there and we are strip searched, right? So I am now stripped butt naked on a, on a back street in front of five men that I have no idea. I, I don't have my mom. I don't have my dad. I don't have my aunt. I don't have anybody here with me. I'm just here by myself. And this has been going on since I was like 15 years old, right? And um, yeah, they don't find anything, and then they let us go. They strip. They sorry. They strip search you naked on the street. This no. They tell the, the TSG van comes. Oh, oh right. Okay. The TSG van comes, and they put you in the back of the TSG oh, van. Wow. And, um, they strip search you in the back of the van. Right. 
yeah and um also what the police do is they would they would do that and then because they're not happy that you didn't find anything to arrest you they would then take you and drop you at another rival gang area right um that's and luckily that's never that it never happened to me but it happened to about eight of my friends yeah um like my friends have been severely beaten up because of this right and we hated the police right and at the time at the time i never had uh, no idea that the general public in the area the resident of the state they also don't like the police right um they also had their reservations against the police so throughout the whole community there was a lot of frustration with the how the police policed us right they never dealt with us as human beings and these officers when you um they come from far they come they don't come from like london or or hackney so they've already made up a, they already have a preconceived notion of or what the people in these areas are already like or what these areas are like you know so um they, they don't want to build any rapport they don't want any understanding it's just that these people are all criminals um they're all uh, poor um and this is what we're doing we're just we're just here to arrest them that is the attitude that they give off right well, um, yeah, so that creates a, a, a them versus us mentality, so an environment, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the reports come in, the police have killed Mark. Now, there's outrage, not just from us as his friends and his peers, whatnot. Um, there's outrage throughout the whole community. Um, a few of us um, have gone down to Tottenham and there's protests going on. And I left. I left the protest. Went back home. Was with my daughter. I said, "But we can see everything unfolding on the TV." And yeah, about eleven o'clock, anarchy um, ensues. Every um, I see police cars on fire. I see um, guys hoarded up for missiles, and the community are not being silent anymore. The community are feel like. It's time for action. Um, they're not actually being heard. Do you know? Um, they've been speaking for a number of years. There was a there was a man on um, one of the. He was in, getting interviewed by the BBC, and he said, "Listen, we've been speaking for years in this community and asking and begging and pleading the police to police us better than this and just come in and just have these community meetings and understand who we are as a people to learn how to police us better and just it's just simple forms of communication." And um, if they, it's just fell in on deaf ears. So now, the people are the people are um, resorting to action, right? And I understood that because that's exactly how the people in, in my area felt also. So then, obviously, the riots kicked off in Tottenham. Then it kicked off in Enfield and there and there. The, on the third day, it came to my road. I'm looking at I'm looking at the window, and I can just see the crowds. And I've gotten my ears to the street, so. You can just tell that it's brewing, you know? Um, I'm telling you now on the estate that I lived on and in Hackney in general, like, it's like every Tom, Dick, Harry and his dog was out, right? The veterinarian that I used to see in the morning going to work and I used to see him in the early evenings coming back from work, he has now got a balaclava around his face, armed himself with missiles. <laughs> what? Do you really? know what I mean? <laughs> wow. So it's like, whoa, raw. It's not only us that's upset with the police. It's, it's, it goes throughout the community, right? And um, 
yeah, so bottle starts getting thrown, whatnot. My daughter needs Aptamil, so my missus asked me if I can go down to Summerfield, get some get some um Aptamil. So yeah, go get that Aptamil. I've come back. But on the way back, like things are kind of in full swing. I see um, a, a few of my peers from school. I see even one of my tutors. But he wasn't like, if you, was, if you misbehave, they would send you to him, right? He wasn't like a direct teacher. He was one of those like sub-teachers, I said. And um, yeah, so I saw them put up their hoods and they started throwing missiles as well. So for the vast majority of the time, we was just speculating and spectating on what was going on. But um, when they started picking up the missiles, they started throwing bottles. I subsequently done the same thing. I decided to throw two bottles. And um, yeah, this is on my road. This is on the road that I live on. The CC, there's about five CCTV cameras that sees me all the time. Anyway, two days later, the police walk past everyone. There's a lot of people still on the streets or whatever. They walk past, the police walk past everyone. I was on the phone. They come and nicked me, right? They asked the CCTV person, is this him? They said, yes. I'm arrested. I've get taken to thingy. Oh, just before that as well. One of my main reasons for being really upset with the police was I was in school. In the first, this is the first time I, I was arrested. I'm in my school uniform. It is about half six. Granted, school's finished three um, two and a half hours ago. Um, but it's half six. I'm in my school uniform and the police come around and done stop and searches. I kind of tried to get away. Um, I don't like to get stopped and searched. Even though I'm in my school uniform, I don't have anything on me. Um, I don't like to get, I don't like their hands all over me. I don't, right? So I run away, I get caught. Um, so they're searching me and he goes in my pencil case and he finds a compass. The compass with the, you know, the one with the um, pointed blade at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. Yep. So to make your like your circle out. Anyway, um, they've arrested me for going equipped. For compass. For compass, right? Um, I'm arrested, get taken to thing. I'm talking to the solicitor on the phone. He said he shouldn't even accept this caution um, because this is absolutely ridiculous. But I just want to get out of it. I'm like, is me not accepting the caution going to make me stay here longer? They said yes. So I'm like, okay, cool. Can I just have the caution? Let me get out of it. But realistically, I shouldn't have even accepted the caution, right? Um, it's ridiculous that I'm even here. And my aunt is here and she's watching me and she's missing she's missing a day of work because of this. I'm not going to hear the end of this. Like, ugh, you know what I mean? I just want to get out. Right? Um, so yeah, this this is where the majority of my frustration came from because everyone I speak to up to now, we are what how how much years on? 15 years on and or yeah, 12 years on. And I still Everyone I speak to about this, it's like, this is ridiculous, you know? That should never happened. Anyway, um, so I'm held off to, 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 to the police cells. I'm in the police cells for 72 hours. And Shahid is one of the most, one of the worst, one of the worst places to be for a long period of time. Like, you've got guys that have been to prison and they'll say to you, they'd rather spend three months in prison rather than three weeks in the prison, in the police cell because of the, the, the white walls, you really feel like you're going insane. Um, anyway, so 72 hours, I'm then taken to court. Now, because of the riots and there's so much people that's been, um, such a large number of people that's been um, arrested, the courts are going 24-7. So I've, I'm getting to court about 7 o'clock in the evening. And my daughter's mom, her mom, two of my friends, 
are there her brother they're in a gallery and i'm saying to them i, I thought i was going home because i didn't feel like i did that much there was people like going up the police and hitting trying to hit them and looting and I, did, I didn't loot anything i literally threw a few bottles right i threw about six bottles in total and um so the, before the cctv gets shown the judge says i'm going to give you a year for each bottle that you threw right a year a year for each bottle. So Shahid, my heart's when he said that my heart's jumped out of my skin. Like my heart's literally boom, 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 boom. My arms is getting claspy, like I'm getting really sweaty. Um, I'm getting fidgety. I don't even know what to do with myself because oh my god, they've got a, a video of me throwing sixty-seven bottles. Sixty-seven bottles. What are you going to do? Give me sixty to seventy. Um, give me sixty-seven years. I can't believe this. Like so, luckily they've had a seventeen-second clip throwing two bottles. And he's giving me a year for each bottle, right? I still feel like that was super harsh because he also said if it wasn't the riots, you would have got a slap on the wrist. So I'm thinking two years is a bit extreme. Do you know what I mean? Um, so anyway, especially somebody that hasn't got any record of violence or any of anything, you know, just a caution of a compass, right? So anyway, Chaid, I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm 18 like we've heard the stories about jail and like they ain't nice stories like our friends come out or the older lot on this day have come out of prison and they've been in a way mutilated because they've been stabbed so bad like like they'll never be 100 percent again do you know um they've been beat up so bad that they'll never be 100 percent again right so this is the big house. This is the career criminals. This is where the bad boys are, you know? That's the, that's the internal dialogue, you know? So going to prison for the very first time in the circle van, you're not able to you're not able to stand up. You're not able to stretch your hands too far. Um, very claustrophobic. Get in there, getting put on the boss chair to see if you've got anything up you. Um, then, search, then search again. Your liberty is completely um, stripped off you. You are now subject to a full strip search again in front of four or five guys that you have no idea who they are. And then, yeah, then now you're on your way to the wings. Which prison are you, are you going to? Um, I'm in Chelmsford Prison at that time. Okay. Yeah, okay. Chelmsford Prison up in Essex. So, yeah, all the smells, all the noises and... Oh, all the, what does it smell like? What is what does it smell like? Oh, it smells rank because you've got the food cooking on. Well, you've got the food cooker. You've got the kitchens, and the kitchens is usually like a big building in the in prisons, right? Because they're cooking for about eight hundred people, and they, they've started cooking from about eight in the morning, right? So, like the the smells from the kitchen, and then you've got the rank smell from the gutter because where and then the the dungeons where nobody went. Now there was a, just a rank smell from there, and then there's a decent smell from the kitchen so it's kind of like yeah contrasting um smells you know and it, it felt kind of stale like it had a very like thick kind of stale sm smell to it and then all the noises whatever um and then yeah so now um you know i'm kind of part of this gang you know like i'm from this estate and there's rival gang members in here also and I know this. So now I'm having to sort myself out. The first day, my cellmate's like, okay, cool. Um, would you want a wood or a plastic? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're shank. Um, do you want a wood one or you want a plastic? Um, obviously, because one of my friends that was been in the prison already, he already got wind that I'm I'm coming and then I'm gonna be banged up with this person. So he's told him, make sure you make him a knife immediately, right? So he's asked me, do I want a um a plastic or a wooden knife, 
right? So I didn't know the difference because I've only known a stainless steel knife, right? So I said, I just said plastic. So he's gone and he's gone and got the, the, um, the uh, toilet brush from out the toilet and he's taken all the thistles off of it and he's began to, uh, how do I say, like he's scraping it so it, it comes to like a pointed edge then he then he gets the razors because you get given razors for free like to shave and whatnot um breaks the razors and then he melts them into into the into the plastic so now you've got the blades on the end of this on the end of this um the, the, this plastic stick and wow what from a toilet brush from a toilet brush yeah bloody hell it's like yes. it's like an episode of macgyver <laughs> so yeah so he's um he's put the blades into the into the plastic and when i tell you that could cut through your skin like butter really yeah like very easily as well you know so yeah so now i've armed myself with a with, with a knife and um uh yeah so at the first couple of weeks First couple was pretty easy because there was Joe was on a little bit of a lockdown. Movement and restriction, um, movement was pretty restricted for a while. Um, so yeah, and then one day they said, "Yep, yeah, you've got gym." Went to the gym. Then um, one of the rival gang members are going to the to to to, to the visits, and yeah, we've ended up visits in the gym are not far from each other. So we ended up seeing each other. Uh, he's taking out his knife at that time. I've left mine. I've left mine on the wing, right? Um, in, in my cell, he's taking out his knife and he's trying to slice me or stab me, X, Y, Z. So I'm dodging, I'm dodging, I'm trying to kick his feet and um, he gets me on my shoulder. He cuts me on my shoulder. It was a minor thing. I didn't feel it Im immediately because of the adrenaline. But yeah, anyway, um, so that's happened. He's gone to the block, but they shipped him out immediately after that. So I never really got to see him again. Anyway, fast forward, three months into prison begins the first darkest period of my life um i get the letter from home office saying that i'm now subject to a deportation order i did not take it seriously at first because i'm thinking what the hell are you talking about um i felt like i was british i've been here since i was seven years old i'm up from year three right up to college and whatnot got my gcse's i didn't tell you but i did leave school with um seven gcse's i left school with four a, four a stars um seeing seeing um maths being english um being um science wow really so, yeah and I, I don't count re but i got being re <laughs> wow. well that's a mate they're incredible grades right yeah so um there that, that's where i felt like i was smart i felt like yep i'm gonna stay on this on this trajectory i'm gonna go to college i'm gonna have a go to do football i'm gonna become a, a, a f1 i'm gonna be on the f1 pit crew you know um that was the dream you know uh, and then it got completely taken away from me just out of interest, so at this point, before you go to prison and you know your baby's born, I, I mean, what what level of dealing were you? Was it still low level, or was it did it moved to no, at, at that point? It was very, it was still very low level. I was still just taking doing um very small hand to hand deals. So I'll take maybe like five hundred pounds worth of drugs to somebody. I'll get that money and I'll make a, I'll make a change. But um at the time, obviously, my aunt's getting benefits for me and the children and work but it's still not it's still not um it's still not adequate enough she was giving me i'll be honest with you Shahid. she used to give me 50p on a monday 50p on a wednesday and that's it 
for the week. Do you know what I mean? Um, she would buy me, she bought me a pair of Nikes and that was my only trainer for about a year and a half. You know, so she never had money like that to do much with. So, um, yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay, so you get this letter. Um, then, God, then what happens? Yeah, you're subject to the deportation order. I didn't take it seriously at first. Then um, a friend of mine telling me, yeah, you just got that as well. And then like he just come back from he come back from a legal visit. So they come and visit him and he's telling me how serious it actually is. Now, um, we was we had a solicitor before I went to prison, and that solicitor really tried to um help me get my stay and whatever. But now it's a it's a deportation matter. So now we're doing that, but it's not really his forte. That's not really his area of expertise. So he tried, but I had to get rid of him because he wasn't actually doing. He wasn't really making much headway. Um, yeah. So now they're really they're saying to me, I got another letter, and they're saying to me that they are seeking an emergency child document to get me gone, and I can't believe this. Like my daughter is gonna grow up without a father. I'm gonna grow up without having my family and being with them. Like, um, I can't believe this is what I'm going to um succumb my daughter to, do you know? Um uh, and that tore me apart because even though she's only been here five, six months, like this is this is my world, do you know what I mean? Um so yeah, um luckily went through that sentence and they wasn't able to obtain an emergency travel document. I've gone to court after the sentence is over. I'm not, before I went to court, I've gone to the detention center. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a program called UK Border Force. Yeah, yeah, I know who they are. Yeah. And they call the guys on the, you know, the guys that get caught on the back of the trolley, on the back of the trucks, they call them, um, they call them the clandestines. So that's who I was in. I got taken to a detention center in Dover, and that's who is at this detention center. So I'm in the queue with guys that don't even have any paperwork. They don't even have shoes. They don't even have clothes, right? They just put themselves on the back of the trolley, in, in the back of the um, trucks, in hope that they're going to become, they're going to be, they're going to get to England and they're going to um, live a better life, right? So this is who, I can't, I can't believe this. I speak perfect English. I've got good grades. I've been here since I was year three. I'm here with guys from Afghanistan. That, that are fleeing war, you know what I mean? And I couldn't believe this is where I am. Anyway, and the, but the conditions in detention centers are, are vastly worse than um, than prison. The, if, down to the prison officers, down to the conditions. The officers in prison, and your mentality as well is severely affected because in prison you have a release date, so you have something to look forward to. In the detention centre, you have no release date. There is no... There's no, you are just here. You are in a state of limbo, right? Um, you could be deported. You could be released. You don't know how long you're going to be here for. Um, so that messes with your mentality massively because it's just like, oh my God, what is my, how, what has my life become? You know? So, and it's a very, it was a very dark moment. It was a very dark period for me, right? Um, I was, I was left, I kept myself very isolated. I didn't really want to talk. You, you you would huh, um you did a lot if you if you got a smile out of me right um and I'm talking about for months um I was I'm all the way in Dover I'm five hours away from my daughter yeah by the time she even comes to comes and sees me she needs to head back right um so no family around me nothing only thing I've got is the mobile phone that they give you right and I'm thankful for that 
only thing I'm holding on to, only thing keeping me a bit sane because I'm able to talk to my daughter's mom, hear my daughter's voice, you know, I won't hear her crying, whatever. Um, so, right, I'm now getting to a year later, um, a month, a year and a month later, um, um, after first going to prison, um, I finally get to court and the judge gives me bail. I'm released because I'm unable to get deported, right? I'm released, but under the conditions that I'm unable to work, I'm unable to drive, I'm unable to have any recourse to public funds, and I'm unable to um, um, further my education in any way. Right? Why can't Why can't you work or do any of those things? Um, because I am subject to a deportation order still. Oh, so God. Right, because in this country, if you are sentenced to more than 12 months in prison you and you wasn't born here, you are not subject to a uh, deportation order. My God. Yeah. I mean, this is just another point of rejection in your life, right? And I mean, if, I mean, I, maybe this is too strong a word, but it just feels like it's complete racism, isn't it? I'm telling you, like, it's just like, how am I how am I subject to this like what have I done that's been so bad that even the judge says in the judge's remarks that if it wasn't the riots I would have got a slap on the wrist you are now completely out you understand you know the full situation for why I'm even in the country why I even remained in the country um I am a a star student in a way now I'm not this career criminal I am haven't committed some sort of mass murder or you know um I haven't committed a really crazy act of violence you know um but i'm subject to this like it's crazy so um so under those restrictions i'm handicapped now shaheed um i can't do nothing like this is my internal dialogue every day i wake up um i can't do nothing with my life i'm if i go and take my cv to the um tesco and it comes up on their system i go back to prison mm-hmm yeah, yeah. So I can't work legally. So now, Shahid, I become the essence of the streets. I'm on the streets every day from morning to night time, yeah? And I am everything about the streets, I am it, yeah? I am selling drugs. The drugs went from palm size um, parcels to shoebox size parcels, right? Um, it went from uh, 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 a flick out knife to a gun holding nine in the cha- nine in the in the magazine. Wow. Well, what sort of drugs were you were you selling? Heroin, crack, cocaine, like all those um, amphetamines, pills. Um, yeah, and going then now I'm being because at first I'm at first I was taken up to when I first come out of jail. Now the guys in the area they hear that you're not that you're. Obviously, everyone knows everyone's business in a kind of a way. So now they're putting pressure on me now to go to country to go sell drugs um, because they know that I'm not allowed to do nothing. I'm not going to college. I'm not allowed to work. I'm not allowed to do nothing. So I'm just here, you know, and my aunt's at work all the time. So like they're now like in a way pressuring me to go to country. Um, one of my friends that they had up there, they said so one day they said to me that they're going to they said to me that they're going to um, go get him. Um, can I come in? So I hold the I hold the drugs. Usually the younger ones hold the drugs while they drive up there, whatnot. And they kind of coerced me in a way because I didn't want to do it. Um, so we've gone we've gone up there. They put him in the car, but they've left me there. 
I felt that they was, I thought they was only going to the shop. They've left me in the house and they've gone back to London, right? I'm in Basildon. Um, at the time, I'm young. I thought Basildon was ages away. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then now I've got about 10 grand worth of drugs on, um, with me as well. Um, I'm, no, I'm not the ones selling the drugs, but I'm holding on to it. And um, literally, what what happened two days? What hap what what happens? Um, what happens two days later? The police come through the door. The police come through the door, and um, they've had this house under surveillance for the last four months. Now, the person who they was expecting in there was my friend that went back to London two days ago. Right. So the pictures that they they bringing out in front of me, they're not me. Right. So obviously I've got these drugs, so naturally I'm still getting charged and whatnot. But like the case that they've built up is not actually against me. Um, so I got to court and if it was actually me, I probably would have got 10 years because they had so much evidence. It was insane. And but so I ended up getting like a, a tag. I was put on tag for about a year. And um, so that, that's seven o'clock to seven o'clock um, curfew. Um, have to be in in my house between those hours. If I'm not, then I'm liable to go back to prison. Um, so yeah. So now I've been on road. From I initially got released the first time, I've been on road now seven months. Right. I go to probation, and probation. I got to probation, literally five minutes late. She said, "This is the third time you are being late." I said to her, you are wrong. She said, no, this is the third time you are being late. So therefore, you are, I am recalling you back to prison. I said to her, you can't possibly be recalling me back to prison for being late. She said, I am. So for about three weeks, I didn't go home. I knew the police would be waiting for me until I just couldn't do it anymore. I just said, you know what? I went home and then they was waiting and I got arrested. And I was taken back to prison. And then this is while screaming my innocence that I was not late. I spent 28 days in prison. The home office, I mean, sorry, the probation sent a letter to the prison. Uh, sent an executive order to release me immediately because they made a mistake and said I wasn't late. Right? And so I'm giving away my PlayStation, I'm giving away my noodles, giving away all my things, Shahid. I get to reception. And this is where the story gets fucking shit. Sorry, I'm not sure if I'm... Hey, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way the story gets fucking shit, right? Um, I get to reception. On the phone to my daughter's mum. She's outside the prison now. I'll be like, I'll be out in a sec. And then home office come bursting through the doors. And they said, nope, he can't go. Mr. Delo can't go anywhere. He can't go home. I'm not even taking him seriously because here's the letter that says I can um they said he's back in trouble so therefore um he has to remain in prison and he's being served with an is 91 that is the home office's um legis like legal document to say yep the um the right to hold on to this prisoner and keep him as a detainee under their laws right so um so shahid i'm not gonna lie to you i am now kicking off i'm livid i am not supposed to be here in the first place they have they have made things right and said I should be released. I am about to be released. I'm literally basically at the gate. And they're stopping me. They're stopping it from happening. So I'm 
in the reception and I'm going mad like I'm throwing things and they're having to call other officers the governor comes down and the governor's on my side and the governor's like but hold on this paperwork here says that he didn't do anything wrong they're not listening Shahid so they not so now I I'm not a prisoner I am a detainee right uh, the difference between a detainee and a prisoner, a prisoner is subject to a lot harsher, um, um, stricter conditions. He is subject to being locked up. He's not allowed a phone, not allowed any contraband, X, Y, Z. Um, as a, a detainee, I'm a, I'm allowed, I should be allowed at my cell for minimum of six hours a day. I'm to be given a mobile phone with no internet on it. Um, and yeah, just general conditions of things of my... Um, of my detain ship or whatever you call it um, should be a lot easier than um, prison life, right? Therefore, I should be sent to a detention center. They held me in a category B closed prison, locked up 23 and a half hours a day, right? And subject to the same conditions as a normal prisoner for eight months. Oh my God, 23 and, and a half hours. 23 and a half hours because ISIS is a gang prison. So a lot of different rival gang members are there. You're, they're unable to have work and, and education how they would in a normal prison because um, there's so much fight, so much violence that it has to be so controlled. Um, so most of you are banged up. Like 85% of the prison population are banged up 23 and a half hours a day. So you come out for your exercise. They come out for your... Um, so today could be your exercise and, and, and phone call. Yeah. So tomorrow is exercise and your shower. Yeah, um, and then three times a week you have a, um, you have association for forty five minutes. That's it. You have association at eight to eight forty five. You are locked up until until lunchtime. Um, you go downstairs get your food. The first five people back in your thing. Your cell gets locked up. Then the next five. Then dinner same again. So you're out yourself for like five minutes. You're not out yourself for long. So from eight forty five until tomorrow eight o'clock. Um, well then. Then you have your exercise, half an hour, your phone call. call. Um, that's about 2 o'clock, right? But from 2 o'clock or 2.30, you're back in your cell until tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? Are you on your own in a, in a cell or you, are you got, have you got a cellmate? Um, some of the time I did, some of the times I didn't. Okay. Yep. Um, on the channels 1 to 9. Anyway, um... Finally get to eight court. months. So eight months, you're, you're for learning. eight months, right? Get into court. So the judge is reading the paperwork, and the judge says, "Because this is me going for another bail hearing. I've got had two or three dismissed um, because we didn't have the paperwork in order." But anyway, go to court. Finally, January the 29th, thousand and fourteen. Um, got to court. The judge said, "I'm going to give." Um, the judge said, um, "I'm a bit confused here." Because I'm reading the paperwork that says that this young man didn't do anything wrong. And uh, um, here's the paperwork that says that he should be released um, eight months ago. So I'm kind of confused I'm confused as to why this young man is before me today. Um, and he's going through a bail hearing. So he asked the Home Office to explain. The woman, she couldn't explain. She literally had nothing to say. Um... So he said, you know what? I don't want to hear from the Home Office. I don't want to hear from your solicitor. I don't want to hear from you, young man. Um, if you could just wait in the, in that, in, I can't remember what he said, but that, the, the waiting area kind of bit. Um, he said, the, the court clerk is going to drop your release papers and you'll be out of here in 15 minutes. Um, is that okay? And I said, yeah. Uh, okay. And then 
yeah I was, in 15 minutes i was out of there yeah and he also said if i was still trying like if he was still a barrister he would um he would be bringing up legal um um lawsuit proceedings or however he said it right um and then yeah so i was released again still subject to the same conditions though xyz so i go back i go right back to it i'm not allowed to work shaheed i'm not allowed to do something positive so i go right back to it so year and a half i'm selling drugs i'm in now i'm in high levels of organized crime right um i'm taking parts in in shootouts i'm taking parts in um 10 20 30 grand worth of drug deals um what sort of money are you making um if it, 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 it varied for sure if um depends on the climate depends on the drugs if, like so in the, in in let's say how do you want to know a day a week month what's the most you made in a day the most i made the most i made in a day was probably about two and a half grand wow and what was your what were you taking roughly a, a week taking roughly a week um a very very good week would make about six grand okay wow that's yeah. just pure cash right that's pure cash pure cash didn't have a clue what we was doing with it though um, what, were you, what were you doing what were you doing with playing it? absolute nonsense um <laughs> so but i paid for all the bills in my in my in my aunt's house um so i was paying the rent i was paying all the the, the sky the electric the gas um and i was buying myself clothes we was doing very stupid things like we would buy cars and then like literally we'll crash them the next day because we didn't know how to drive um we was we was taking cabs we was taking cabs like to places that just for a cab ride we was bored and we would just literally take a cab about an hour away and drive back you know what i mean um like we was doing stupid things like we didn't know how to invest we didn't know any we didn't have any financial literacy um yeah our money management was absolutely non-existent it's ironic isn't it because the reason why you're doing those things you know, because you don't have a role model there's no role models in your life and but yeah. but the thing that's ended you up in that situation is because you didn't have a role model to start off with exactly. so it makes perfect sense. And why would it? Why would you know what to do with you know six grand in your pocket a week when you you, you know world's your oyster? I mean, yep. you know, yeah, a hundred percent. And there was nobody to help help us navigate through what we was actually doing. You know, um, it was all about yeah, going to make that money and doing that and doing that. But it's like, okay, when you actually got it, what are you doing with it? You know, with what are you, talk to us about, about a shootout. Just just for some people who are listening to this, like, sure. give, what is a shootout? What what, what happens? Um, a shootout is when two um, rival gang members um, have weapons, have guns on them, and like if they didn't have guns on them, they would be fighting each other. So now they have guns on them. So now one's trying to shoot the other one, and the other one's trying to shoot the other one. Like I'll tell you a quick story of um, one of one of the shootouts I, I took part in. Um, literally, just literally riding through Hackney, um, where I'm in the car, and then we heard the gunshots. And who looked round, didn't realise he was they, they were shooting at our car, right? Um, so the, the the back window, the bullets gone through the back window, gone through the windscreen, right? So um go out of the car door, gone gone round the back. They're in a they're in a different car, they were like a few cars behind us, XYZ, but they were shooting from the car to our car. But because there was a little bit of traffic, they couldn't get around and there was oncoming traffic, so they couldn't go into the oncoming traffic lane. So they were just literally shooting from where they were. 
Um, so well, we've got out of car, they've stopped, we've stopped, we've got a car, and now I've got a, I've got a gun on me, my friend's got a gun on me, and they've got one, yeah. And um he's shooting at the car and just bang and he's hitting the you hear him bang ting bang ting like every time he every time he shoots, it hits the car, you just hear the ting, right? And I've so I've taken out the gun and I've made sure that there's one in the chamber. Um, now I'm I've brandished the firearm and I'm pointing it at them, and then now I've put the um the gun on not single fire, but I put it on rapid fire. So I all I, need, I don't need to keep pressing the trigger. I can just hold the trigger and then about um the, the, the bullets are just coming out of the gun automatically, right? Um so they're shooting at us, um, we're shooting at them. Because they, we had two guns and they had one, so we had more ammunition than them. So um they've ended up running out and then they're they they're running in the opposite direction now. Yeah. And now we're chasing them down the we're chasing them down the street because they literally just tried to take our lives. Now we're doing which in a way we're trying to do the same, having no value for our lives. Do you understand what I mean? Um and this is what's and this is what's going on. That's a shootout. Glad I asked. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's 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 like Top Boy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's how we grew up, like Top Boy. And Top Boy, and do you know what's crazy? If you read, um, I can send you the article. Um, Top Boy is actually based off of Pembrey Estate and London Fields Boys. Um, and I'm from the Pembrey Estate, and the biggest rival gang that we um we had problems with was the London Fields. So they created Top Boy off the back off the back of those two estates. That's why it's actually um. That's why it's actually set in Hackney. Okay, wow. So you're basically, as you said, you you become the streets. You you're kind of making an absolute fortune. You this is like serious now. Um, this is this is like you know the Sopranos, Top Boy, but this is real life, right? <laughs> like any life. any second, mm-hmm. you know, somebody could be taking your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is the life that you're living in. Mm-hmm. How old are you, how old are we or how old are you at this point? I am 19, 1920. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <So> much happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought you'd be like, oh, I'm sort of mid-20s, but oh my god, so this is a really small window of time. So yeah. much has yeah. happened to you. So this sounds like a really stupid question, but you know, we we've sort of picked up I've picked, I'm starting to pick up a few themes here, and I think having a role model is mm-hmm. is evident. Yeah. Are you now seeing yourself as a role model doing what you're doing? Or is that not even something that's coming to your mind? Um, it's not something that I ever felt like I was or no, it didn't come into my mind, but the same way how we became the young, you call it the youngest and then you have the oldest, right? Um, so getting to those ages, I was still a younger to some of my oldest that was still, cause like my gang, the gang that I was a part of, um, it was a very big gang. So you had guys all the way up to the age of 40, do you know what I mean? Um, down to ages of 14 or 12, yeah? So you had different generations and different sections, you feel me? But we were still under the same umbrella, which is the Pembry Boys, right? Um, so I still had seniors. I still had people that I called the oldest. Um, I'll be the youngest to them, but I also had the youngest to me. So the 16-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, they would be the youngest to me. So they would be asking for um, certain things, X, Y, Z, that I would have been asking for my the oldest when I was probably their age, you know what I mean? Um, but a lot of the, a lot of them, like, wanted to be a part of it. Like, m- me and a few of my friends, some of my friends did want to be a part of it. But I'll be honest with you, Shahid, like, it was never, I never thought that this was a, 
at one stage, I never thought that this was even a, a life. I thought this was a movie. You know what I mean? Um, this happened in the movies. Like this happened in 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 in, in things shows on on TV. But then when I got part, even when I moved on this day and I saw the gunshots and whatever, I didn't want to be a part of that. I saw a guy dead and his blood's going into the nearby drain. He's completely that's it, comatose, dead, right? So um, I didn't. It's kind of scary, you know. So um, yeah, I didn't want that. Like I was forced into it. Like I'm, I, I, Shahid, I'll never forget. Um, I can see the beige um, certificate in my hand. I open up the certificate and I'm reading it, and I got the phone call. And they're saying Shaq's dead, and it's like that. There was so much emotion in that day. This is what makes you remember things. Is the best thing if you want to learn to remember something is by making by by having an intense emotion. Um, 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 when you're say like if I'm if I'm reading a book or I'm learning something and I or and I really want to remember this, I would create like a really intense emotion inside of me, which makes it solidified into my hard drive, right? Body. That makes it easier for me to remember it, right? So at that time, I had such an intense emotional reaction, or there was such a massive chemical burst in me when my friend told me that that I can remember that like a in an instant, I can close my, I don't even have to close my eyes. I could see the base paperwork. I could see the trainers that I was wearing. I could see um, um, exactly where I was. And I got that phone call. My friend's dead. Love it. Like, I will never, ever forget that. I'll never forget that image. Never forget that phone call ever in my life, you know? Uh, so now, remember, I'm now got, I'm now, I'm suffering from the hurt, the the, 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 the loss, the abandonment, um, people pleasing um, complex. I now have PTSD. Like I have severe post-traumatic stress disorder because I'm going to sleep and I'm closing my eyes and I'm hearing gunshots and I'm seeing a man on the floor dead. I'm seeing my friend stabbed and trying to hold his intestines in his belly. I'm seeing my friend bleeding out. Like my other bedroom, I come, I walked out of my house, Shahid. I just heard bang, bang, bang. Yeah. I looked to the right. I was about to go back into my house. I looked to the right. I saw my friend falling to the ground. Yeah. I saw the car speeding away. Yeah. Like now this is the re reoccurring nightmares, dreams and like daydreams. And that's what's in my head now. You know, like on a, on a not Shahid on a normal, I'll just be sitting there and I'll just be seeing my friend falling to the ground, dead, laying there, unconscious, no life. Like I can't even see the black in his eyes, just the white. Like he's, you know what I mean? And um, hearing, do you know how much of my friends' mums, mums I've heard scream um, when they when they when they get the phone call and they run to the area and they can see their son on the floor dead or like really hurt going into the ambulance or whatever. Like Shahid, I've heard those screams so much that like it fills me up with so much emotion. You know what I mean? Like no shit. Like where my eyes is kind of tearing up right now when I when I my last friend. Um, Back in 2000 and, um, 2019, as recently as that, like right in front of me. Do you know what I mean? My other friend killed my other friend, do you know? Um, but anyway, we'll get there. So um, it's crazy, Shahid. Sorry. Give me a no, second. No, no, no. I mean, it's, 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 it's like what you said earlier. It's like this is a, a war zone that you're yeah. living in, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable when you hear it from somebody who's in it. Cause we you know, look, I live in London, yeah. um, you know, you hear things on the news, you know, something's always happening, but when you're so you're not in it, mm -hmm. you, you feel kind of, kind of detached, but the way that you're speaking about 
this entire experience, which is literally no more than sort of 12 miles from where I live, really. It, it's just in absolutely unbelievable. And, and I sort of defy anyone who sort of was in your situation to maybe, you know, what options did you have? I mean, you know, you're just sort of looking at all the things that you've been facing. You've got no role model, you know, first of all. Um, you know, you're not able to work, you know, you've got a family, you need to eat, like they need to eat, you need, you need to buy stuff, you need to pay the bills. Like, mm-hmm. if somebody's presenting you an option of, you know, you can earn two, two grand a day, or, you know, whatever it happens to be, and you don't have to worry about money at, at all, and you can provide, mm-hmm. and you're still only 18, 19 years old. So you haven't even really developed mm-hmm. Your, your, your life experiences, you haven't really developed much, you know, what your sort of hormones are flying all over the place. I'm still understanding who I am as a, young, as a man, as a young man, do you know what I mean? Um, and then, then I'm, I've really been fostered into, into fatherhood as well, do you know, do you know what I mean? I've, really be, I've, been, fo- I've been fostered into um, um, fatherhood also. So it's like... Um, like I've got, I'm being a father to this. I'm trying to raise a little girl. I'm trying to understand my emotions, navigate through my emotions, and navigate through this um, war zone that I'm currently living in. You know. So you're you're this massive, massive dealer at the moment on the estate. Yeah. What, then, then what happens? Um. Now I what? So a really close friend of mine gets shot, and um, he is everybody. Everybody on the estate loves him, right? And. He, um, so when he got shot, everybody come out, everybody, everybody is upset, right? It, obviously you've got some people that might get stabbed and whatever. And then you got, everyone's got their like section of like five or six or eight or 10 people who, who they're close with. Right. But this particular person, everybody really was really fond of him. Right. So, um, and everybody's upset now. Everybody wants to um, do something about this. So now my gang their gang and the gang that did this are going are having regular shootouts every other day either someone's getting shot or there is a shootout or someone's getting stabbed right and this rival gang is literally across the park right um i'm not sure if you're familiar with hatley downs park Mm. yeah Yeah. you know on one side is evelyn court and on the other side is pembria state um and those are the two most dangerous gangs in hackney right and um, they are now meeting up having the park or they'll come to each other's estates and they're having shootouts and they're also called and I was part of this um, this violence daily, right? And um, yeah, so the police set up a task force where they would they bugged a few of their phones, they bugged a few of our phones. I happen to be one of the people that they bugged. Um, um, so one day I'm walking, I'm going to pick up some drugs, but my friends called me. And he said, V, what are you on? I said, I'm going to pick up at nine quickly. I'll be back soon. He's like, all right, cool. So the police now, they listen to this conversation. And they to them, I'm going to pick up a nine millimeter. So they follow me to go pick it up. I'm on the way back. And do you know, Shahidia, I said to myself, I, I, this happened um, about three days before this, I had a daydream. Yeah, it's like my, I just went into this daze and I saw myself saying to the person in the, in the, in the driver's seat, you know, this is it. I'm going to jail. And Shahid is exactly what's happened. So anyway, we're in the we're at the traffic light, and Shahid, when I tell you, yeah, like six different ex-wives coming from all different corners, speeding to me. You had a woman which I felt was so was so sexy, yeah, but that was until afterwards. But anyway, she wasn't even the car didn't even stop yet. She had the door open and she had a gun trained to me, right? 
she she either heard about six guns um pointed at me men and women screaming at me yeah to not move and stay still and whatever not yeah don't move don't move stay there stay there that's all i was hearing shaheed right and um um so i've looked at the cab driver and exactly the same thing that i daydreamed about three days ago is what i'm doing now i said to the cab driver that's this is it you know adamski i'm going to jail um like he didn't say nothing, just like in the in the daydream. And anyway, um, so they come and they said, the package between your legs, grab it slowly and throw it out the window. So I've gone to pick it up. He said it about five times. I've gone to pick it up. Slowly, slowly. They're just shouting at me. Shahid, I'm having an out of body experience right now. My whole body has gone numb because at any moment, any of these men can be trigger happy and they could release that trigger and take my life so I'm, I'm ever so slowly i've got the package and i'm throwing it outside i threw it outside the car they've ended up the sergeant's walked through and he's picked it up and he's like drugs fucking drugs and he's just throwing it on the floor anyway cut a long story short got arrested got to um about seven hours later got into um the interview room um in the interview room um, my solicitor, the police, and then so ended the interview. They said, The law, if you had given us any indication that you was going to pick up drugs, you wouldn't be here today. We want the guns, we're out of guns, right? Um, so I said, <laughs> Very cheekily, I said, Um, okay, let me go. Um, he said, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go, it doesn't work like that, but they're, they're not drug squad, they're trident, they're gun police, right? Um, yeah, so. They decided, um, so yeah, I've ended up getting to court and the judge gave me um, four years, eight months in prison, right? Which I served two years, four months in prison. And then I served an, an additional year in detention. And the reason why I served the, the, the additional year in detention, because they said that my deportation was imminent. That was a massive lie. Um, so, but, so then they said that I need a address to get released to. I gave them my nan's address, the lady that I was just on the phone. Um, they said that she's too old and she's not able to exert any authority over me. So therefore, no. I did not understand that at all. That doesn't make no sense. If they knew this lady, they would know that I wouldn't be able to bring one or two women to the house, let alone my boys and to do what I want. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, she's 22, but listen, that woman still goes to the market. She still does whatever. And trust me, she, she won't have me doing nothing in the house. Anyway, but they're not to know that. So, okay, cool. Um, I felt like that was completely unfair. So gave them six other addresses. They turned every single one of them down. Until nine months later, my friend said to me, he's got a friend in Sheffield. We booked, we, we, we got the probation to go down to Sheffield, X, Y, Z. Probation and the police now have, con have colluded. And they've said that the area that I'm trying to move to is a gang, is a, is a drug area. So therefore, if I come out of jail and I sell drugs in that area, I am. They are, um, but they're saying no because they are. They want to prevent a, a drug war, right? Where in the where in England does drugs not get sold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. This doesn't make sense. Do you know? So um, I could have given them the, the 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 Shetland Islands. They would have said the same thing, right? So. Um, it was ridiculous. Chef, and at that time, I've never even been to Sheffield, right? So it was completely... Anyway, finally got them to go back to my nan's house. This is like four months later. Got them to go back to my nan's house. 
and they had to approve it after I put in a, like a, a, a serious complaint. And I got my aunt, which is an ombudsman, to um, also write a letter as well. Anyway, they took that very seriously. They gone, went to my nan's house again. They approved it. I was released, right? But Shahid, I am now in 2018, a week before my daughter's eighth birthday. And I don't want to do this no more. But I have to because I, I want to get my daughter some presents. I want to... I want to get some clothes. I've been in jail the last three years. So, um, Shahid, when I tell you, my whole body, I picked. I got the drugs. My friend come and gave me like about a grand worth of drugs for free um, to, to get me back on my feet and whatnot. Shahid, I am now, it also gave me a drug phone as well. I'm now, setting, I'm now going up to Weymouth to sell drugs. But when I tell you, yeah, every single cell in, in my body was, was going in, in the opposite direction to where I was going. My whole body felt numb, it felt weak. My, I didn't want to do it. I've just come from prison doing this. Like, this, my, I had my daughter come in here every other week to come and visit me. I do not want to do this. The people tried to deport me. They tried, it was so hard to even get out of detention. Like, I'm stressed out. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you know what I mean? At all, but like, how do I survive? I can't go and get a normal job, you know? Um, I'm, I called my uncle, he said to me I can come and do part-time, but he doesn't have that much work, right? So I'm there one day, two days, he's giving me a £50 a day. Gee, I can't do nothing with a £100 a week. Do you know what I mean? I spent that in an hour, yeah? Anyway, um, I've also got, I've also, like, I, I'm trying to get away from my thoughts as well, so during that time, I've, I've, I've got a weed habit as well. So, I'll, hundred pound will go on my weed, you know? So it's like this can't do nothing for me. But any so I have to be out here selling drugs. Shahid, I got up anyway, the police rolled on me. Anyway, they didn't find the drug, cut long story short. They didn't find the drugs, but I was so scared that day and I really thought, oh my god, I'm actually gonna put myself back in the situation. I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore, I have to stop. Anyway, um walking through the estate one day, um, with no way of thinking how I'm gonna do anything else, I, I it's Deep down, I know that I'm going to have to go and sell drugs. But I'm trying to think of a different way, right? Nothing's coming. Anyway, walking through the estate one day, I see this guy and he's like, V, walk on. Da, 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 da. I said, yo, walk on. You all right? He said, um, are you doing? And he starts to talk, talking about all this stuff. But Shahid, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea where I know this guy from, right? His face is familiar, but I don't know where I know him from. So, um, then, but... While we're talking, he references HMP Peterborough. I'm like, oh, that's where I know you from. And he, when I was in jail, I used to sell a little contraband. I used to sell a little weed here and there. And he used to buy off me, whatnot. So, so now he's saying that he's doing all of this. He's script writing. He's directing a play. He's doing this. He's doing that. I'm like, whoa, what's, who's got you doing all this positive stuff? He said an organization could keep a life. I said, oh, wow. Okay, then. Um, how do I get in touch with the, this charity? Because I want to do something different with my life. He's like, V, they're really good, they're, really, they're like a family, whatever, whatever. I rang them on the spot. They said that they've got a new program starting in two weeks. Shahid, I enrolled on that. They they laid out they laid out the plan of what the seven steps looks like. Equine therapy, mentor, um, um, suited and booted. They give you a suit. I've never owned a suit in my life. I've only had a trousers and a shirt to go to trial for. You know what to go to court for. Um, then they, there's different workshops to um, empower you, help you to understand the language of your mind. Um, rare, rare, rare. So in between that time, Shahid, it's how things are just a crazy coincidence. I ended up watching a video because I'm like, you know what? I need to do something different in my life. 
Like, I need to have a different, like, even my, my thought process is terrible. My internal dialogue is garbage, right? It's really negative. So, Shahid, imagine one day I am watching videos on YouTube. I stumble on this guy called, um, was it Joe Dispenza or was it the other one? Anyway, he starts talking about the language of the mind and the power of the mind. Okay, so I went into his story. Basically, this was a rich philanthropist um, driving through the Bay Area one day. He got into a crash. His wife passed away, rest in peace, and he paralyzed from his neck down. He went around the world looking for a cure for his for his for his for him being paralytic, and obviously to no avail. Um, nothing was supposed to happen. Nothing happened, right? Anyway, he spent the rest of his life just reading books. Reading, reading, reading. And um, he stumbled on a book called The Power of um, the Power of the Mind. So he learned that the language of your mind is pictures. And the pictures you put in your mind on a regular basis consistently is what you're going to see in your reality. Right? So he started to visualize himself. He learned about visualization and mantras, right? So he started to visualize himself running marathons, playing football with his kids, and putting marathons on. Two years on, and my man, he did that every single day, Shahid. Two years on, he started to have, to have feeling in his elbow. Then he started to have feeling in his forearm. He went to the doctors and he could feel them touching his toes. Two years after that, through rehabilitation and whatnot, he now runs marathons, plays football with his kids and puts on marathons, Shahid. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch other case studies of people that have done the exact same. And there was many, right? So I, once upon a time, implicitly and explicitly modelled the guys on their estate. And I wanted the respect, I wanted the jewellery, I wanted the things that they had, right? Now, these people are doing fantastically well in their life, legitimately, right? And it all starts with not a whole heap of money, with not a whole heap of support. It all starts with self, understanding the language of your mind, saying the right things and picturing the right things in your mind and having the correct internal dialogue, right? So then I started to explicitly model them, right? Surely I must be one of those two. So, Shahid, what happened? The trainer, we got a new, they got a new trainer at Kifa Life at the organisation. He started to talk about visualisation, the language of the mind, the power of the mind. And your internal dialogue and your mantras and what you're saying, your word is your your word is your wand and these things and I'm understanding this thing these a lot better and it's resonating with me like I I get it yeah so now because I, I once upon a time my my the pictures in my mind well, well actually at that time I realized the pictures in my mind were drugs the the police and um, the opposition so when I left my house what did I see I saw drug addicts. I saw the, the police and I saw guys in hoods because that's what the opposition wore, right? So I had to change the pictures in my mind. And the pictures were being a positive role model to my daughter, um, being a positive role model to my daughter, and then um, to what's it called? To um, being a great, being a great, um, being, what was, what's the second one again? It was. Um, Being a valuable member of a workforce, even though I'm not allowed to work, um, but it was that's the picture I was putting in my mind, yeah. And also being a gym goer, right? 
And then Shahid, imagine, right? One day my daughter come and sat me down. And she said, Daddy, can I talk to you? And I said, I thought she was going to tell me to get a, this Peppa Pig toy because I saw it. I saw it earlier on that day. And I knew she might have been asking me about it, you know? I thought, yeah, here it comes. And she said, Daddy, um, can you hear me okay? Um, she said, I don't like coming to visit you in that place. They put the men, they put their, I don't know them, and they put their hands on me. They take off my clothes and they touch me, Daddy. And I don't like it. Shahid, the way she said it, like it went straight to my heart. It made me tear up. I didn't want to show my little girl that I'm, I'm tearing up. I had to make, I made an excuse and I walked out the room. And I said, I can't do this to my little girl. I can't, this is the person that I have a responsibility to, to raise and be a positive role model for, right? And I said, I can't ever sell drugs again. I can't do this. I can't do this to her. And there, Shahid, um, I committed to that charity. Two days later, my friends called me and they said, V, you got a lick. A lick means a robbery, right? We've got a robbery. And it sounded so simple over the phone, yeah? We've been, I've been through some robberies where I could have lost my life. But this sounded so simple. But I said, you know what? We've done so much robberies in the past. We end up back broke or we end up back in prison. Like, I want to do something different this time. They couldn't believe what they was hearing on the phone. And so they've gone off anyway and they've gone and done it. And it went successful. They got just over 40 grand worth of cash. They got um, about 20 grand worth of drugs. Like, life seemed, life seemed great. And um, in a way, I was jealous. They come and saw me. They tried to give me about three grand worth of drugs. And they gave me about six grand in, in money. So, Shahid, I'm not going to lie. I took the money. I told them, keep the drugs. Right? So, imagine, so now I'm committed to the Key for Life program. And I am now um, going to the workshops every week. I am now watching these. I'm meditating. Now I learn visualization. I learn my mantras. I'm, I'm getting closer to. I'm, I'm praying, you know. So I'm doing that on a consistent basis, just trying to get a, doing something different to get a different result. Because for so long I did the same thing, trying to get a different result. Yeah, that's kind of that's lunacy. So I did something different now. Hopefully I can get a different result. And Shahid, it was difficult because at the same time I'm on Instagram, I'm on Snapchat, and I'm seeing those same boys, my, my boys, and they're in. The the drugs that they the free drugs that they got in the money they're living a very lavish lifestyle right now they've got they've got the big bikes the R ones they've got the Range Rovers the SUVs they got the the SVRs sorry um and it looks good they're living really nice they they're shining you know and I'm jealous I'm not going to lie I'm jealous and I think damn I should have went on that move I feel like every day I'm thinking oh should I just go link them and whatever but I thought you know what then I'll commit to your process. And Shahid, imagine, I said to myself on 2020, January 2020, the first, I'm never selling drugs again. On the, on the 18th of January, that same month, sorry, sorry, in the December, I was, I met the employability manager after being so successful on the Keep Your Life program and um, being so committed that got to the employability stage, sat down with um, a lady called Khadija, who is now my best friend and business partner. But anyway, sat down with her. I didn't know who she was at before that. 
And she said, you know what? You articulate yourself really well. I think you do, um, you do great at this television production company. She rang them on the spot. Shahid, this is me never having a job interview. This is me never having a job in my life, right? And um, they've ended up, um, she's called them. They said, we've got someone started in the following um, on the Monday for two weeks. Can he come in this Wednesday to the Friday? They thought, yeah, she's going to support a young man on his journey and then yeah, move him along after the Friday, you know? Um, Shahid, I've gone, um, I've gone in there. I've gone in there, and this is just before Christmas. Still, we're still in 2019. And three days, they put me on the the head honcho table. You've got the managing director, the coordinator, the, 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 the chief coordinator, the chief um, editor, the guy that's on the phone to the the, the, to the, the networks, the Channel 5, the Channel 4s, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Then um, they give me a piece of work. Oh, the managing director is really impressed. Anyway, we got to the evaluation. Keep Alive members come back. And he said, Vanilla, I've never given more than one, two, um, modern, modern two tens in, um, in the six years I've been doing this with Key for Life. There was nine sections. He gave me a 10 in each section. He said, I don't have a job for you, but I'm going to create one, right? The man is now paying me cash in hand, yeah, working as a runner um, for his television production company. Two months later, I'm sorry, before I get there. Um, so on the 18th of January, I get a contract as a runner slash junior researcher for a year, right? On the 23rd of that same January, those same boys, my same friends that I was jealous of and they're living the lavish lifestyle, they got sentenced because they got arrested in, in December. They got sentenced to nine years each for their part in um, the drugs ring that they were doing, yeah? They got nine years. So now I'm on the phone to them and they're like, V... Oh, man should have come to that key for life thing with you man should have come on that course with you oh, and they're mad they're in jail you know Shahid, how easy would it have been for me to be there with them if i made the same decision of doing the same thing do you know what i'm saying and um yeah so fast forward i um um the um covid's hit Judge, um, um, he's hit me up and he said, "Vino, I'm not able to, I'm not able to furlough you." So he said to me, "Can you go in, go, go in there and teach yourself how to use the cameras?" The man is still paying me thirteen hundred pound a month, so I can teach myself. He was a godsend, you know. Uh, I needed because if it wasn't for that, I was going back to the streets. Anyway, um, Channel Five cuts the budget. The company has to go online. The CEO of um, Kifa Life rings me and says, "Vino, you had such a successful transition." Would love it if you come and did some a talk and um, um, help some of the young men. I thought, of course I would. Went over there and the young men, they listened to my every, they was hanging on to my every word. You could hear a pin drop in the room. Because to them, I looked like hope. I looked like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? So she asked me to become a mentor for the organization. I went and done my training. I became a mentor. Then I became a, it, was, it went so well that I became a caseworker. The young men all want to work with me. They're all ringing my phone every day and they want, um, um, they're so happy to be working with me um, and getting that support for me because now I am being the person that I needed for them, right? And it's filling me up with a lot of, I'm feeling really good about it because your granddad has been to jail, your dad's been to jail, your, you was, you've ever been to jail or on your way to jail and to help you to change your help change your perspective on life, your outlook. Because a lot of them thought like, yo, I'm going to do life in prison or a lot of them was in gangs, you know what I mean? Just like I was. So they didn't think, they didn't have much value for life. I gave them that value for life. I empowered them. 
with so much, you know, um, and with that, that understanding of self and how they are deserving and they belong, to, they, they, they're deserving to do so much better than they currently are doing, do you know what I'm saying? And it's all about changing the pictures and the internal dialogue, you know, um, stop saying that you can't or they, they, they don't like you over there or whatever that is, that's all a lie, you know, you can affect whatever you want to affect. Yeah, it's fantastic. And as you say, like you've become this key role model in people's lives. And as you perfectly said, you've become the person you needed the most in, in your own life. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you've obviously shared, and thank you, like you've shared some incredibly deep and, and personal events that have kind of taken you from, you know, really at the bottom of, of, of your own mind to, to where you are now and you know in our worst moments I guess we we can grow and create room for more extraordinary things right I mean that's what I'm getting from your 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 story so far and you're still a very young you know person as well what well, just out of interest like what what scares you now what scares me now yeah um I've always been scared of failing, in a way. I've always been scared of failing and not being... Because um, now I've got so much ambition to do this and to do that. And, like, like I feel like a lot of... I feel, I feel the pressure from the family, in a way, because, like, nobody in my family has ever been to university. Nobody in my family has ever done amazing things in their life. And it's like... It's like I look like even a beacon of hope for my family, right? And I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to reach that potential or be that person that they feel like I can be. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared of that. Even though, like, my internal dialogue is that I'm going to make it and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be able to support everyone in my family when everyone's good. But I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to. Um, the other thing that scares me is that. Um, I'm still suffering with immigration and they could turn around tomorrow and then deport me, you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, so that still hasn't been resolved at all? It hasn't been resolved, you know? We're we're 12 years on, you know? But because I understand the laws of nature that are put in place for us, right? Like, realistically, nothing really stops you from doing anything because I work for myself now. I um, I'm, I legally drive. Um, I'm still not allowed public funds or to go to uni and whatever. But I know that I wasn't made to be, become the, to be the perfect human being. I was made to... Uh, I'm, I'm the perfect creator, right? And whatever pictures I put in my mind, I can create into my reality, you know? So, in a way, I'm not scared of nothing because I know that it all starts from, from me and it all starts from what I'm, be, what I'm be, how I'm being, you know? Um, but there's certain things that you can't control. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal journey. And I think, you know, the whole thing when you talked about what scares you as well, I think because you've experienced where you could possibly go in the bottom, I think that will, in a, in a sort of weird way, motivate you to keep going and doing all these extraordinary things for yourself and, and your family. So mm-hmm. we've only sort of 
we had a really proper chat today and but i feel like i kind of know you a little bit better than i did at the start i i i just can't wait to see what you end up doing i mean i think you're you are one hell of a phenomenal role model for all of us not just people who are on the streets um who are you know living where where you you've come from which is which is a really lovely segue actually so Vanel, you 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 showed me your your new website, which we'll post in the show notes. Yeah. How can people get more involved with you? This is this is your this is your opportunity to to pitch yeah. yourself now. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um. So yeah. So after all of that, I became a senior training development caseworker. I became a mentor. I became an emotional resilience worker. Um. Because the emotional resilience is very important. Because a lot of things that um a lot of people don't understand how to manage their emotions how to manage their feelings and um if you if you are easily tricked out of um if you're a really emotional person and um you're you oh, i don't know how to kind of um how to phrase this but you're easily manipulated if you don't if you if you're not understand if you don't understand your um and how to manage your emotions so i empower guys with that and give them the tools to understand their emotions a lot better so um that there comes the emotional resilience um, I became a neuro-linguistics practitioner. Um, neuro-linguistics practitioner is about understanding what it is that one, what it is that you want, and not focusing on what you don't want, and programming your mind through twelve different, twelve to fifteen different techniques um, on focusing on, 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 on achieving that desired outcome. Right? Um, overcoming limiting beliefs, overcoming phobias. Um, and um, programming your mind to maintaining a positive trajectory or sustainable future, right? Um, how people can get in contact with me. So me and my business partner have just founded an organization called Inside Out. And we are doing talks in schools, prisons, probation, preschools, private schools. Um, and we're also working with charities that work charities, the police, um, care leavers. When I say care leavers, I mean like um, young men and women um, that were once orphans and yeah, um, working with social services and um, yeah, to help these young men understand themselves and help put their life on a better trajectory. Um, we've got a website. Um, the website currently is the inside out website is still um, under construction, but I have a website and the website is www.benaldelaw.org. Um, you can reach, you can contact me via the website. One of my talks is about the benefits of hiring ex-offenders. So any corporates out there listening um, would love to come into your, to your corporate um, offices and deliver my presentation and my speech and on the back end of that we're going to talk about how i became a senior training development caseworker er worker xyz but also i was a gunslinger i was a drug dealer and um a, a violent gang member right so and we still have these young men and women still dealing with this i'm um, still being that in these areas and i'm standing here before you or i'm in having this conversation with you, Shahid, as a model professional, being able to articulate myself and very uh, and very able to do do this legitimate work, right? And um, I implore any employers, any corporates listening to this, to please get in touch, 
so I can come and deliver some training, come and deliver my presentation to hopefully change the perspective from maybe your workforce um, and um, hopefully get some, some um, help some guys on their transition and help them change, you know. Um, if you feel like my transition has been remarkable and it's been great and you would like to support someone through that, please get in touch. That's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll put the, the website and okay. any any other contact ways to contact you in the show notes so yeah. anyone can do it. And could we have a you know quite a big international audience too? So I guess I'll I'll I'll, I'll pitch for you now a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Even if you want to do um, like a Teams call or you want to get um, Vernell to give your agency a, a talk or a chat. You know, I think that this, you know, you, you've sort of heard his story. You've, you've heard where he's come from. You've heard how he's changed his life around. And he's given some fantastic tips around, you know, your word is your wand. Uh, how about changing the pictures in your mind? Um, changing, the, changing, the, changing the pictures, um, changing the meaning, changing yeah. the feeling. You understand? I feel like even though we've been, we've been sat here chatting for over two hours, I feel like we've only just scratched the surface so so anyone listening to this who wants to perhaps further their own education as individuals or as companies this is one superstar that you definitely definitely would be it would be worth getting in touch with just just lastly vanel just got one last question to ask you what is power what is power yeah that's a great question. <laughs> that's an that's an absolutely great question. Um, not a question I was expecting at all. <laughs> that's um, what I do. <laughs> um, power is an understanding. Now, let me tell you what the understanding is. Because in society, we are led to believe that we are led to believe that and we put emphasis on everything outside of ourselves, right? We put emphasis on so much things outside of ourselves. When I get this money, I'm going to be better. When I get this job, I'm going to be better, right? And it's all, it's always when I, when I get that, I'm going to be better, um, you know? And what I help people to understand is that if you everything that you can see in the room that you're in right now, Shahid, that I'm in right now, on any of our listeners are listening to, everything that is man or woman made in that room all started one place. It all started from you. It all started from your mind, right? Before it was made into a drawing and then put into production and then put on our shelves, right? And then, then it came into your house. It all started in a man or woman's mind, right? So the power starts with you. Everything starts with yourself, right? You are the greatest creator of your life. You have the, you have the, you are able to create anything that you desire, right? Not with a large sum of money, not because you've got a hundred people supporting you. All because, you have the, all because the power of the mind. There is nothing more powerful on God's green earth, right? And if you have the power to create your life to be in whatever you want it to be, there is no greater power. Fantastic. It's been 
amazing for now thank you again um to the moon and back this has just been mind blowing it's been hugely inspirational for me personally i'm massively humbled to have you on my podcast if there's anything we can do moving on to help you just by all means get in touch and uh thank you so much Thank you so much, Amshin. It's great being here, man. And thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. No worries, no worries.